Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Paul takes us through a sermon in Psalm chapter 143 titled, A Hopeful Prayer from a Heavy Heart. The Psalms are literary art. Hebrew poetry invites us to slow down and experience God with more than our intellect, but also with our imagination and the full reality of human emotion. What do we learn as we pray the Psalms? We learn that intimacy with God is not the absence of adversity, but the presence of God within it. Intimacy is fueled by the Spirit and nurtured through trust. Intimacy is the gritty confidence that is grounded in the blessed love of God in the face of danger. The Psalter was a prayer book of Jesus. When you pray the Psalms, Jesus is praying with you in his full humanity, and so is his church. You are not alone. So what do we believe here? We believe three things that lead to three choices. We try to keep it simple. We believe that there is hope beyond this world's brokenness. Is that good news? Beyond my brokenness, my family's brokenness, my community's brokenness. And that hope gets like into the sap of my life as I learn to trust my risen Savior. What do we sing? Jesus, what a Savior, what a brother, what a friend, lifter of the... God, you meet me where... Where I should be, where I was, where I will be, where I am. That's where our Savior meets us, where I am. And what he does with us is he, he says, join me in my restoration work. We get to join Jesus in this community as he's restoring and bringing hope to our community. Those, that's what we believe. So there's going to be a quiz at the end of the service. <laughs> and th- that leads to three choices. Can you say it with me? A disciple is one. Choosing to be changed. Choosing to seek. And choosing to... Very good. Tucked away in the center of your Bible is a gold mine. The Hebrew Psalms, traditionally called the Psalter, the Psalms are a playlist for all dimensions of human experience, for all parts of the human soul. Originally written as song lyrics, the Psalter includes a really wide diversity of genres, kind of like my Spotify playlists, that help us gather the whole of our lives, including the messy parts, in raw, honest prayer before God. The Psalms help us become real in the presence of God, in the presence of God's church. The Psalter has served as a prayer book and a hymnal for Israel and the whole Christian church around the world for thousands of years, friends. Listen to how some fathers of the faith have described the Psalms. Basil, who's a rock star from the fourth century, said every psalm brings peace, every psalm preserves friendship, reconciles those who are separated. Who could actually regard as an enemy the person beside whom they have raised a song to the one God? Every psalm anticipates the anguish of the night and gives rest after the efforts of the day. Fast forward to the 16th century, John Calvin, reformer, The Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the human soul, for there's not an emotion 
of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented, as in a mirror. The Holy Spirit has here in the Psalms drawn to life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the emotions with which our minds and hearts are wont to be agitated. Fast forward to 2018. Eugene Peterson said, the Psalms in Hebrew are earthy and rough. They're not genteel. They're not the prayers of nice people <laughs> couched in cultured language. They provide men and women access to the immense range and the terrific energies of prayer. Peterson says, I am convinced that only as we develop raw honesty and detailed thoroughness in our praying do we become whole, truly human in Jesus Christ. And another father of the faith, Bono from YouTube. <laughs> in his introduction to the Psalms, said this, in the dressing room, before a show, we would read the Psalms as a band and then walk out into arenas and stadiums, the words igniting us, inspiring us. The Psalms, friends, have changed my life. They've become medicine for my soul. But it took a fiery furnace to open my eyes to the gold mine. Fifteen years ago, my wife and I nearly lost one of our children to suicide. I was the one who came home to find my child unconscious on the very edge of death. This event triggered for me a bout with deep depression. I stopped sleeping. I have not had a full night's sleep for 15 years. It left me walking with an emotional limp as a parent. But out of this trauma, and this is trauma, came redemption. And by the way, this child is in a better place right now. I mean, he's still alive. <laughs> I know people say that about death, better place. I meant better place emotionally. <sighs> oh, yeah, thank you. But out of this trauma, and it is trauma, I. I discovered the Psalms. Oh, I knew about the Psalms. I knew they were a part of my Bible. I dabbled, them as I, with, I dabbled with them as I read through Scripture. I even studied them in seminary. But I did not know the Psalms because I had not yet prayed them. You see, I believe we only really know the parts of the Bible we've prayed into our lives. Fifteen years ago, I started to pray the Psalms, including and especially the difficult raw ones. And I have discovered that I'm not alone. The ancients had a name for this medicine of the soul. It was called psalmotherapy. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? So friends, I've been working on this sermon for 15 years, so we should be done by 5 o'clock. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So hang on. The rich diversity of the literary genres of the Psalms can be arranged around a three-part narrative arc. Orientation, 
disorientation, reorientation. This is all from Walter Brueggemann, who wrote an amazing book on the Psalms. They're like three movements in a symphony, or three acts in a play. The Psalms of disorientation, I'm sorry, let's start with orientation. The Psalms of orientation are prayers that affirm that God is on the throne, and life is good and well-ordered. We like them, don't we? These are the summer psalms. Orientation psalms include psalms of praise, psalms of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalms of enthronement, psalms of Zion, psalms of ascent, psalms of wisdom. Act two are the psalms of disorientation. These are prayers that question God, that question God's ways, God's presence, from a place of pain, suffering, disappointment, or persecution. These are the winter psalms. Are you with me? They're the blues, to use the music metaphor. Disoriented psalms include psalms of lament and psalms of spiritual warfare, a.k.a. cursing psalms. By the way, lament is by far the largest genre in the Psalter. Does that surprise you? Act three are the psalms of reorientation. They are prayers that look back on suffering through the lens of God's amazing provision and deliverance. These are the, what's, what, what season do you think this is? Springtime psalms. Psalms of reorientation include psalms of sacred history, looking back on God's faithfulness. We sang a song like that today. Psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of trust, like Psalm 23 is a reorientation psalm. I just want to give you a disclaimer. Not all psalms fit nearly into a single genre. Many are hybrids consisting of two or more uh, genres or styles. Like Psalm 23, I'm sorry, 22, begins as a prayer of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What would you say? Is that orientation, disorientation, or new orientation? Disorientation. But it moves into a genre of trust. And so it's a hybrid psalm. And so orientation, disorientation, reorientation, is this real life? I mean, we all eventually experience these movements of the soul, don't we? Every man, every woman, every community, every church, every family, every marriage in some way moves through this narrative arc. But sometimes we get stuck along the way. Amen? The Psalms give us both language and an ancient community of pilgrims that help us stay alert to God in the midst of all these seasons of life. They remind us that we are not alone. And so I ask you, where are you in your journey? Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. This graph illustrates the highs and lows of my spiritual journey over the past 20 years. Do you see any disorientation in there? It, the, the, the vertical, um, what's it called? Axis. Axis, thank you, represents my sense of the presence of God, and the horizontal represents time. Now, God was with me in the disorientation, but my sense of his presence was not there. And 
I just encourage you to graph out your spiritual journey, your awareness of God's presence over the last 20 years, maybe since 2000. And then invite God into it all. Because we sang, uh, lifter of the lowly, God, you meet me, what? Where I am. Invite him into the place you are, into all the places. I encourage you to take up the Psalms that correspond with the current season of your soul and make them your own. Allow these ancient prayers to keep you honest and alert before God in the midst of the realities of life. I have provided an index of all the Psalms under, those, under that narrative arc, under your chair. So you can pick the Psalms that fit where you are in your journey. Do you see on the inside? And on the back, I give you some cues for how to pray them into your everyday life. This is a gift. This is a gift. I also have provided digital guides online to more than 90. This has been a project for the last 10 years for me to write guides on more than 90, 90 psalms, including prayer prompts and musical renditions. I was a music major, so music, you can't do psalm work without music because um, they were written as lyrics. And so you just Google the phrase, my coastal pause to pray, and you can pick your psalm for the day. So would you all like to learn to pray one of the psalms right now? All right, good answer. That was the right answer, by the way. No, we don't want to pray. I've chosen Psalm 143, 143, and I entitle it, A Hopeful Prayer from a Heavy Heart. This is a psalm of disorientation. It's a classic lament. So psalms invite us to slow down. This is so hard in a skimming, scrolling culture, and engage our whole hearts with the word of God. The Psalms are ancient Hebrew poetry. They are literary art. They are full of creative repetition and imagery and metaphor. The Psalms have been designed not just to be examined, but to be felt. Every Psalm has an internal emotional architecture. Each psalm provides an invitation to feel all of life in the presence of God. Sadness, joy, delight, despair, anger, peace, comfort, fear, shame, and relief. It's all there, friends, in the middle of your Bible. Is that cool or what? Yes. It gives you permission to bring your whole life before him. To help me slow down, I like to sit and listen to a psalm on an audio Bible in two or three different translations and let it get inside my imagination, my emotion, using the Bible, a Bible Gateway site. This may be a cross-cultural experience for you to sit and listen to Scripture slowly over and over again. But I want to try it. Can we try it right now? Yes. I want to play a dramatized version of Psalm 143. I encourage you to close your eyes Breathe. Activate your imagination. For the engineers in the room, this may be challenging. <laughs> to visualize the words and images you hear and to be alert to the different emotions between the lines. Are you ready? Yes. 
bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Did you hear any emotions there? Did you see any pictures, metaphors, imagery? It's a beautiful way to listen and experience the psalm. Some, if we could take a deeper dive into this psalm. It opens with, hear my prayer, O Lord. And if you see there, Lord is in caps. Do you know why Lord is in caps? Whenever you see Lord in caps, it's that sacred name for God in, in the Hebrew scriptures, Yahweh. It's the name that was given to Moses at the burning bush when he said, whom should I tell, sent me? Yahweh. It's the I am name. So I'm going to use that this morning. Hear my prayer, Yahweh. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness, and do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. So what kind of prayer is Psalm 143 in the narrative arc? disorientation. It's a lament. It opens with a cry of help. Allow me to paraphrase as I borrow from several translations. Pay attention, Yahweh. Listen to my cry for mercy. Don't haul me into court. Don't enter into legal proceedings with me, for no one, especially me, can stand before you righteous. Some believe this desperate prayer reflects King David's experience of betrayal by his own son, Absalom, who led an insurrection against him. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 15. David is pleading for deliverance and justice, but he knows that he's in no moral condition to stand in judgment. His own adultery with Bathsheba led to the chaos of his own family. Have you ever prayed for deliverance from a situation you helped create? You're, you're in really good company. Like David, when I pray for deliverance, I have nothing to offer in exchange. I, it's not my merit, not my performance, not my playing the righteous victim. Like David, I know who I am. 
I'm painfully aware of my flaws and failures, and yet I can throw myself upon Yahweh, trusting in his character, his faithfulness, his righteousness. That word just means right relationshipness. And his covenant loyalty, reformer John Calvin defines righteousness in this passage as Yahweh's active faithfulness to protect and deliver his people. David's plea is based on mercy, not merit. You guys with me? My most authentic prayers in life are not from a place of personal strength, emotional calm, or moral uprightness. They are grounded in my Lord's covenant faithfulness in the middle of my desperation. David goes on, verse 3. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed with me, within me. My heart is appalled within me. The psalm is giving now graphic descriptions of personal rejection, abuse, pain, and suffering. Here's my paraphrase. The enemy has hunted me down, kicked and stopped me with an inch of my life. He has set me in a dark place, dropped me in a black hole. The enemy has driven me underground. He has crushed my life. It has left me overwhelmed without hope. My spirit is draining away. My courage is gone. My heart is heavy like lead, appalled, shocked, dismayed, desolate, and paralyzed with fear. Does that sound like an ancient form of PTSD, by the way? But despair does not win. The king's prayer pivots to hope. Listen to verse 5. Can you read it with me? I remember. I meditate. I muse. I stretch out. But. Yet. These are beautiful words in the Bible, by the way. Uh, My small group of guys affectionately call ourselves uh, the Yeti group. Yeti group built for the adventure. And it's based on this, the yets and the buts in the Psalms. Yet. It's based on that defiant hope in the middle of the lament. But, David says, I choose to remember you, Yahweh. I choose to remember your story to ponder your saving acts, to fix my mind on your work. I refocus my eyes on your track record of faithfulness. I lift up my hands in desperation. All that I am aches for you as in a parched land. Oh, thank God for the green hills, by the way. The parched land of the central coast is receiving quench, thirst, thirst quenching. Notice the emotional architecture of this psalm. David's psalm begins with desperation, moving to a description of his trouble and landing in this place of remembering and longing. Charles Spurgeon aptly sums up this pivot in the soul. Quote, memory, meditation, and musing are set together as three graces ministering to an oppressed mind. Memory, meditation, and that beautiful old word, musing. All that I am thirsts for you. Friends, real transformation begins where? Through behavior modification? 
No, it begins in the heart. In biblical Hebrew, your heart is the center of your intellectual, emotional, physical, and volitional life. Your heart is where you seek to understand, where you make sense of the world. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error. The heart is also where you feel emotions, including pain and fear. The heart can melt. It can be distressed. It can be depressed. But on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is literally to be good of heart. The heart is also the generator of your physical life your actual physical body. And finally, most critically in Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. Your heart is the spring of your affections. This is the core of what it means to be human. As James K.A. Smith says so well, you are what you love. You aren't what you think. You are what you love. So when the psalm says, all I am thirsts for you, he's saying, I thirst for you, Yahweh, with all my mind, my emotions, my affections, my imagination, my body, my desire. So I have a question for you. What does it take to bring you to a place where you can pray that prayer? All that I am thirsts for you. What does it take to bring you to that place? Tim said pain. For me, I first have to identify my broken wells and how they are not working. Can anybody relate to that? We humans are experts in digging broken wells. Yours may be alcohol, drugs, consumption of food, media, entertainment, or just the latest stuff on Amazon. Your broken well may be work or school or politics or achievement or the approval of others. It may be your appearance or your image you project online, or your fruitless attempt to manage your children's lives, or your grandchildren's lives. That may be your broken well. In the 12 steps of recovery, and I just so love this about our church, there's so many of you that are in that journey of recovery, which takes so much courage. Can we all say way to go? It takes so much courage. You can't start recovery until you go through step one, which says this, I admit that I am over alcohol or just fill in whatever your broken well is. Achievement, approval, that my life has become unmanageable. Thank you. This is the beginning of repentance. The 12 steps are just 12 steps of repentance. And repentance is the beginning of renewal and hope. So I just want to ask you right now, are you ready to repent as we start a new year? Have you been drinking from any broken wells in 2022? And you recognize they're not working? Join me now. Lord Jesus, pray with me. Lord Jesus, I reject the lie that my broken wells... Offer true life. You alone are the spring of living water. I choose to thirst for you alone. Amen. 
Back to David's plea. The urgency is intensifying, friends. Can you read it with me with emotion? Verse 7. Answer me, O Lord. My spirit, do not hide your face from me. Or continue. Let me hear your for I teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. My paraphrase is, hurry up, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. My spirit fails, my depression deepens, my courage is fading. Do not turn away from me, or I'm going to go down to the pit. And then he continues, I love this. In college, I wrote a song on this verse. Welcome me each morning with the sound of your love. Then I'll go to sleep each night trusting you. Let the morning bring me news of your chesed. Can you say that beautiful word with me? Chesed. It's a beautiful Hebrew word translated loving kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, unfailing love. Chesed is a covenant word. It's about the marriage between our Savior and his people. Chesed. David continues, quote, point out the road I must travel. I'm all ears. Teach me your ways. The Hebrew form of that word teach is much more than intellectual attainment. It's better translated, apprentice me in your ways or habituate me in your ways. And then verse 8 ends with this desperate cry, for to you I lift up my soul. I want to give some credit to Bible Project for this. This has been so eye-opening to me. The English word soul comes with a lot of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. That baggage defines soul as a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's like a ghost in the machine. But this notion is totally, completely foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nefesh, the word for soul, means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nefesh is throat. It's a word picture. Like when the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we missed the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt, and now our nefesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off to slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat or neck. It's a metaphor for the whole you. As your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nephesh represents your whole embodied self. So in the Bible, people don't have a nephesh. They are nephesh's. You don't have a soul. You are a living, breathing, physical being. To love God with all your nephesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. And what did he say when he was finished making them? This is really good. So against Greek philosophy there. It's about offering your entire embodied being with all of its capabilities and limitations You know, aging is a process of mourning those limitations. And offering those capabilities and limitations to love God and to love your neighbor. 
So when verse 8 says, for to you I lift up my soul, it means to you, Lord, I entrust my whole embodied existence. Amen? Back to David's, that was a little theological cul-de-sac. Back to Psalm 143, verse 9. Can you, can, again, with the emotion, read it with me. Deliver me, Yahweh, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. My paraphrase is rescue me from my oppressors. For I hide myself in you. I have fled to you for refuge. You alone are my shelter. And teach me to do your will. Why? For you are my God. David doesn't say, for I am my God. This is so simple, but so challenging. God is God, and I am not. (laughs) God is smart, and I am not. Apart from God, I am blind, deaf, and lost. I am profoundly, apart from God, skilled at self-justification. I can spin a rationale for anything. Anything I do, anything I believe. I can justify my choices in the echo chamber of my own head. This is why I desperately need a bigger perspective on life. My human wisdom constantly falls short. I need Jesus to apprentice me in his ways. Amen? Verse 10 concludes with my very favorite prayer in this psalm. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Or let your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing, as Eugene Peterson translates, into cleared and level pasture land. Have you ever felt like you were trudging through a rocky, precarious path in life? Or through a bog? In Scotland, I led Kathy on a long hike right through the middle of a bog. We had some interesting marital conversations in the middle of that bog. Speaking of Kathy, Kathy and I love wide open spaces. A few years ago, can you see her in the picture? We had the opportunity to visit Norway, a land of fjords and glaciers. And of course, we had to hike up to a real glacier. But I didn't chart the distance very well. It was much longer than I expected. The problem is, like my hair, glaciers are receding. There's a receding effect due to global warming. If you don't believe in global warming, go, go, go to Norway. It was cold, too, and extremely rocky. Guys, did you know that glaciers are like giant bulldozers pushing massive amounts of rock and debris down a mountain? It was hard to find the actual trail among the rocks, but we finally made it. And this is Kathy. She's actually doing a happy dance. I have a video. She just always wanted to be in a glacier. Now, this is totally unsafe. Don't do this on your own. (laughs) What she's doing is breaking all the rules. So I just have to give you a disclaimer there. But back to the glacier. On our way down, after the happy dance, we again lost the trail among all the debris. It's called a moraine. So we just followed along a rushing glacier stream. And along the way, I encountered some ice on a boulder, and I slipped right down into an icy, cold torrent washing through boulders. And I'm literally, this is glacier, roaring glacier stream, and it's washing me over these boulders. And then it threw me up against a big one. And I'm just, I'm 
freezing. I'm holding on the boulder. I'm going, am I still alive? It turns out that my backpack saved my life because when I hit, I, when I hit that ice, my whole head went back. And instead of hitting the rock, the, the backpack hit the rock. And, and all I had was a, a, a sore finger from that. The rest of the trip, when anything went wrong, I said, honey, it's okay, I'm alive. <laughs> you know, I call that zero basing, you know. Like, it's okay, I'm alive. Why do I share this story? Because I love David's prayer. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. The Holy Spirit, friends, leads us into wide open spaces where we can see again, where we can regain our perspective on God, on creation, on life, on ourselves. I love wide open spaces. Back to King David's lament. For the sake of your name, say it with me. Oh, Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. He's saying, uphold your reputation here, Lord. As my covenant-keeping God, preserve my life in your justice. Get me out of this trouble. Release me from this distress. In your loyal love, silence the adversaries of my soul who take pleasure in my suffering. So what do we learn, friends, as we pray the Psalms? Well, first of all, we learn we're not alone. For 3,000 years, people have prayed. There's teardrops on this psalm. For 3,000 years, people have prayed this psalm. We also learn that intimacy with God is not the absence of adversity, but the presence of God within it. Intimacy is fueled by the Holy Spirit and nurtured through honesty, vulnerability, and trust. Intimacy is the gritty security that is grounded in the chesed love of God in the face of the storm. Just as intimacy in a marriage is, I always tell couples, intimacy in marriage is not the absence of conflict. It's the product of working through it and staying with that person through it. So it is with God and with God's covenant people, the church. So would you like to pray your own psalm of lament? Sometimes, if, you, if you're in a place of orientation or reorientation, life is good, well-ordered, God's on the throne, and you can't relate to this psalm, I know you know somebody in this world who can. You can turn the lament into an intercession for them. Amen. Laments are powerful. I've been praying the laments, like Psalm 143, for my brothers and sisters in Ukraine, you can pray a lament for people and people groups who are suffering. They're powerful. What a person needs when they're suffering isn't an orientation psalm. They need you to pray a lament with them. And so, have you heard of the 12 bar blues? Those of us who love music have. There are four bars in a full-throated lament. I want to walk you through praying your own lament. I invite you to now think of an experience of pain, rejection, or suffering in your life or in a person or people group 
that you love. Close your eyes. And just in your mind, in your prayers, describe the trouble in detail to God. Don't hold back. Tell God about the trouble. Now express your honest emotions. Lord, I am feeling sad, mad, afraid, ashamed. And bring him your honest questions, which are all over the laments. Why, Lord? How long, Lord? Where are you in this, Lord? You can ask God those questions. And finally, make your bold plea to God. Please, Lord, remember back when you did this. Do it again, Lord. Friends, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, amen, was executed on April 9th, 1945, for participating in the resistance to the Nazi regime. He took this stand out of his loyalty to Jesus Christ. During his preceding imprisonment, the Psalms were his lifeline. In his powerful little book, Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, Bonhoeffer says this, the Psalter is the prayer book of Jesus Christ. He prayed the Psalter. It now has become his prayer for all time. Those who pray the Psalms are joining with the prayer of Jesus Christ in his full humanity. You are not alone. I thought we would close by turning Psalm 143 back into a prayer of Jesus. Because he is with us right where we are. Let's pray. Hear my prayer, Father. Give ear to my plea. For in spite of my innocence, I suffer wrong. Answer me in your faithfulness. For the enemy has pursued me. Knock me to the ground. Kick me within an inch of my life. He has crushed my soul and dropped me into a black hole. My spirit is overwhelmed, my heart desolate, heavy like lead. I am covered with shame. But, Father, I remember you. I remember the days of old. I muse on the work of your hands. I stretch out my arms before you. My soul thirsts as in a parched land. Hurry, Father, for my spirit dries up. Why have you forsaken me? I am sorrowful to the point of death. Deliver me from this pit. Let the morning bring me word of your steadfast love, for I trust in you. Lead me in the paths of your righteousness, for to you do I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, for I take shelter in you. You are my Father. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground into wide open resurrection spaces. In your justice, bring me out of this trouble. Silence and destroy the enemy of my soul. For I am your servant. When you pray the Psalms, you pray with this Jesus. Amen? Let's sing. I would be honored to pray with you through your furnace that you are moving through. And also, if you're looking for some new friends to unpack this message for how it applies to your journey. We do that together in Table Talk every week at 1040 on the patio. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Happy New Year again. Pastor Paul Dugan is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.